Hello, Joanna. Hello, Nate. And hello to all of you. Here from the apocalypse. According to you, not so live, but almost. No, and not really reporting anything new, so. <laughs> Although I don't feel like we're as much in the apocalypse now as like, oh my gosh, New York and New Jersey. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, if any of you guys are there, like, we hope you're doing good. Yeah. Stay inside. Wash your hands. Probably, if you live there already, you're braver than I am about being in New York. It's I'm mostly just a little concerned, like, if I was there, I wouldn't be very afraid of the virus, just given my human logistics. Right. Um, But I would be more worried, like, what if law and order just goes down the shitter? Too many people around. Too many people. Yeah. Too many, and in those too many people is too many crazy people. Yes. And the looting and the lawlessness, that would really freak me out. And once it starts, it's like, it's like a snowball. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of people just kind of start doing it too, so. Makes me want to move to the very middle of the country. Yes. Well. Anytime something super bad goes down and you are in a densely, you know, packed population. Zombies. You don't want to be densely packed population at all. Mm-mm. Pandemics, obviously, yeah. for two reasons. The sickness and the, uh, you know, loss of uh, law and order and all the mayhem. Yeah, fortunately, I mean, I'm not out in the country, but I'm farther out in the country. And you're really not too Oh, yeah. I mean, we're, we're either, better so. than, than a lot of places. I'm just saying kind of in general, like the coastal cities are actually kind of there's only um, one direction you can really go. Yeah, and and you they they always tend to have higher populations. Well, I guess there's only three directions you can go. <laughs> and even in a, a weather related thing, like I know the Midwest is like tornadoes and stuff like that. But, Hella snow. But I feel like we're more likely to suffer like a like a big ocean event, like the day after tomorrow. Like if the day after yeah. tomorrow comes along and they got that huge tsunami coming in, like. Man, you don't you don't want to be like right next to the ocean when no, that's but I think down. I would still be fine here in that case too. Oh yeah, here would be fine, but yeah, yeah, but like you know, right on the water, like the city of Seattle right. would be gone. Yeah, exactly. No, that's that not really right on the ocean anyway. Yeah, it's got Puget Sound, yeah. so it's it doesn't. But the like Olympic Peninsula would definitely get right. just ru- squim <laughs> Ruby Beach destroyed. Gone. Yeah. Sorry, Twilight fans. <laughs> Forks done for. Forks is gone. Forks does not exist anymore. It's underwater. Yeah, so I'm just saying, like, it's just starting to feel a lot safer. Less less people and... Yes. Less, uh, you know, ocean-level rising threat. Yes, yes. that's really not your problem when you're in the very middle. But no matter where you are, we, we hope you are doing well during this crazy time. And uh, well, let's talk about another crazy like world event. This one is from some time ago, 1908. I 1908. Believe. It's yeah. the it's June. called the Tunguska event. Is it June 30th, 1908? I think it's like yes. a, yeah, and now and now it's like an asteroid day or something. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a I think it's a national or international asteroid day, but it was. A 2,000 square kilometer area, 500,000 acres, of pine forest got flattened in Siberia. 100 square kilometers, 250,000 acres, were charred. 
along with some reindeer. A shitload of reindeer, probably. Oh, that makes me sad. It was just after 7 a.m. on June 30th, 1908, when what was likely an asteroid or a comet exploded above Podkamenya Tunguska River, which is located in central Siberia. This produced an explosive force of 15 megatons, which makes this explosion 1,000 times larger than the bomb dropped on Hiroshima at the end of World War II. And the explosion was visible from 500 miles, 800 kilometers away. I'm just grateful it wasn't as much radiation. Yes, definitely. Yeah, like the but the shockwave itself. And not nearly as populated. Yes. Oh, well, yeah, Siberia is pretty remote, especially this part of Siberia. It's like, it's way the fuck It's way the there. fuck out there. It's not which... just when you, like, wish somebody to, like, be in Siberia or it feels like I'm in Siberia right now. It's like the Siberia of Siberia. Yes, yes. We'll get to exactly how remote it is a bit later on because it's... It's remote. Oh, yeah. It's very remote. It's remote, and it's hard to get to, which is also a thing for later. (laughs) Seismic activity was recorded from the event in Western Europe. So it was a pretty big thing. Though all the trees in the area were knocked down, there was no impact crater. Which is an odd thing. It is very odd. That's one of the things, it's under my list of things that it, that's weird about this. Yes, that's category. definitely that's definitely number one. There are tons of reports on the incident that are all basically the same from all over. People heard what they described as artillery or cannon fire, which people in this area had unfortunately heard a lot of in the past. Yeah. The it, Russo-Japanese War had just happened, and that was a lot of fighting. Not really in mainland Russia, but a lot of Russians, you know, fought in the military in that. And soon they'll have like the civil revolution with the Bolsheviks and World War One. That's just right around the corner. Yeah, and uh, Russia doesn't seem to get a lot of breaks. It seems like no, not so much. Many said that it was like an earthquake without the repeated quaking. So I don't know how many of you have experienced an earthquake, but it's pretty uncanny. I remember two being through two. Uh, One happened in the mid-90s and was fairly mild. I remember I was at my parents' house talking on the phone, and then the whole house shook a few times, and it was -hmm. was done. Yeah. The one that happened in 2001 was quite a bit more severe. Not like San Francisco 1989 severe, but still fairly large. I remember I was hungover from a night of partying before, and I was sleeping on my friend's couch, and the couch starts shaking. And so I'm I'm yelling, like, stop shaking the couch, because I just thought it was like, couple of guys shaking the couch and then looked up and looked around and realized I was in a dark room and went towards the door to stand in the door because I realized it was an earthquake. I made it to the hallway and just stood in the hallway because I was really hungover. Mm -hmm. You're just like, this is as much as I'm going to do. Yes. And that was fairly... I mean, at that point, you realize that, you know, like, okay, the house isn't collapsing. Yes. Well, it was mainly just like, like, that's as far as I got. Yeah. That just wasn't... That was it. That was it. I was hungover. I remember the one in high school. Yeah, that was in the one in the 90s. I don't remember exactly what year. I don't remember... I think that was like 97, I want to say. I don't think it was 97. I think it was probably 95 or 96. I I was in high school. I know that much. I don't remember that one from 2001, and I should. Oh, yeah. No, that was- I was here. That was crazy. It was a, it was a crazy time. I got to look it up. It's like, what the fuck was I doing? It's like, do, do I remember it, but I don't? It's just 
buried in my memory. I just well, it was a big year. It. I mean, wasn't Jarek born that year? Jarek was born that year, and so I'm trying to remember. Like I, 9-11 I wonder, happened like, was it, that year. Was it like before or was it after? And do I? Do it I happened remember? right around this time because it was Mardi Gras in Seattle was the, where I was partying at the night before. So I was pregnant then if it was 2001, like. Early 2001. Early 2001, yeah, because I had him in September 2001. Yeah. And then 9-11 happened two days later. Yes. <laughs> God, what was I doing? I don't even remember. Being pregnant Joanna, probably. Yes. That's a that's a hard time. It's and it's really it's really weird when you're in an earthquake because like everything is moving. Yeah. And it's stuff that's not supposed to be moving. Mm -hmm. It's like your house and the road and stuff. The trees just shaking. Everything is shaking. And it seems like it takes so much longer than it actually does. Yeah. You don't understand how long twenty or thirty seconds is until everything around you is moving for twenty or thirty seconds. Yeah, and it's just blowing your mind. At any rate, this event wasn't like that. This event was more like just one shake. Like so there were no reports of bam. landslides or countryside damage or buildings falling down, shit like that. Windows blew out, though. Windows. There were some windows that blew out. That was closer in. Closer in to the, the vast farness of it. Like, yes. I mean, they, close was still really far away. And there were many reports of people seeing a streak of light and smoke coming from the sky. G.K. Kulesh, a school teacher from a town called Kirensk, said, quote, The fire pillar was seen by many, and its shape in the form of a spear is also known. The smoke or the gray cloud, which later passed into the dark, was also noticed by many. I could not ascertain when the glass was shaking in houses, during strokes, before or after them. The strongest blows were the last, and the concussion of the hot air was strong. The peasants of this village were so overwhelmed by the blows that they sent a deputation to the local archpriest to ask if the apocalypse begins, so as to prepare for it in Kirinsk. Well, probably it would have been pretty freaky in 1908. When you got, Russian peasant, yeah. You had no idea about nothing. I mean, I'd freak out if a huge, if a, something busted the windows out right now here and yeah. you could see a fireball in the sky and a smoke trail. I would be like, what the fuck just did that? Kulesh continues, quote, that there was a concussion of the ground, which I could conclude from the fact that the barograph noted a line on the tape, and I firmly remember that no stranger entered the room, and I did not get up from my place, so I could not push the device. I heard the blows, but since the windows were covered to the northwest and opened only on the south, I took the blows for the volleys of rifle shots in the military field. Hmm. A barograph, I think, is some sort of seismic device. Another witness reported, Yesterday, Tuesday, while in the yard, I heard from the northeastern side of the horizon a loud noise, or a rumble like thunder. It lasted about two minutes. I quickly went into the house to observe the time. It was 7.27 a.m., local time. I don't know if he says local time or they're just telling me it was local they're time. They're just adding it. Well, it I, seems like I it would mean, be more than a, a little quote, thunder so. if you run inside to note the time. Yeah, no shit. I don't hear some thunder rumbling and I'm like... Oh my god, I better check and see what time it is so I remember well, that. Yeah, the Russians are I mean Russians peasants are a different kind of people, I guess. <laughs> I don't know if this was a peasant or not, but a peasant. They were still peasants. I know they and were peasants. Crazy. It's just it that's it is crazy. So the witness continues During this hum, the air came in a concussion, as if from the wind. The sky was cloudless, the sun was shining brightly. I began to observe hanging objects, but they were calm. 
From this it can be seen that there was no earthquake during the rumble. Then, a period of at least 15 minutes, a weaker rumble repeated at intervals. Whether it was an underground rumble or some other, I cannot determine. The population of the city and the surrounding villages are surprised, unquote. You know, you know, the thing that's weird about this is that this doesn't sound like how a peasant would talk. I think these quotes. Uh, well, it's like, because, who is translating these? Because it's, it's because just so kind of like proper. For it's like, direct translation. Yeah. It's not actually like how a person talks. If you took our English and directly translated it into... Russian, Russian or yeah. Chinese or anything, it would sound very prim and proper and correct and yeah. not, quite, not quite right. Right, yeah. Yeah, so it sounds that's why it sounds weird. Mm -hmm. But even still, I've been listening to a Civil War podcast, and the ways that these and these guys a lot in the South were basically peasants. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they were uneducated and they were just dudes working in fields and shit and the way they speak is way more proper than one would expect from someone who was uneducated can, yeah can, yeah and so like maybe they just learned it from their religious teachings so they just spoke i don't know i don't know in well, this particular case i think it's just the translation is very i, I think it's the translation is but I, I get what you're saying like you know peasants have really like kind of let themselves go so to speak like modern day peasants, like damn modern day peasants, modern day peasants <laughs> and their terrible English and grammar. Right, right. <laughs> Neither of these guys were at Ground Zero, of course, because Ground Zero was, you know, in the fucking middle of nowhere. In the middle of fucking nowhere, Siberia. A still closer witness at 37 miles away, 60 kilometers from Ground Zero, had this to say: "Quote, I was sitting on the porch of the house at the trading station, looking north." Suddenly, in the north, the sky was split in two, and high above the forest, the whole northern part of the sky appeared covered with fire. I felt a great heat, as if my shirt had caught fire. At that moment, there was a bang in the sky, and a mighty crash. I was thrown twenty feet from the porch and lost consciousness for a moment. The crash was followed by a noise like stones falling from the sky, or guns firing. The earth trembled. At the moment when the sky opened, a hot wind, as if from a cannon, blew past the huts from the north. It damaged the onion plants. Later, we found that many panes in the windows had been blown out, and the iron hasp in the barn door had been broken. Pretty significant. Some Get shit thrown that's in 37 the miles away. Thrown in the air, and man, I bet you just wake up kind of like in a shock because yeah, just get like the wind knocked out. You're just taken up and smashed down to the ground, you know? Unexpected-like. Qu yeah, quite un- I would, I would never expect that. There were some animal, probably reindeer herders, that were 19 miles away, 30 kilometers, that said, Early in the morning, when everyone was asleep in the tent, it was blown up in the air along with its occupants. Some lost consciousness. When they regained consciousness, they heard a great deal of noise and saw the forest burning around them, much of it devastated. And another said, quote, The ground shook, an incredibly prolonged roaring was heard. Everything round about was shrouded in smoke and fog from burning, falling trees. Eventually, the noise died away, and the wind dropped, but the forest went on burning. Many reindeer rushed away and were lost, unquote. Poor reindeer. And there are many, many, many stories of similar nature mm -hmm. of, this, of uh, people who witnessed this, because a lot of people witness this. 
It was a, a pretty significant thing. The night happened. sky in 1908, especially in Russia, was a lot darker than it is today. Oh, yeah. Not much light pollution going on. Mm-mm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Must have been beautiful. Probably. Um, you Joshua could probably Tree was amazing. You when could I went probably there. see the Milky Way. We went on a night. It wasn't like totally no moon, but it was like the first day of the moon, so it was just like the tiniest little sliver. Yeah. And oh my god, it was so amazing. I never like. The stars, it was just crazy. Yeah, I imagine. It was awesome. Skies never looked so big. Leonid Kulik was born in 1883 in Tartu, Estonia. He went to the St. Petersburg Forestry Institute and then studied math and physics at Karan University. Forestry Institute just teaches you how to do forest things. Okay. I looked into it and it's just forest engineering and shit like that. Forest engineering. I'm not, I didn't really look too deep into what all of the different things you did were, but it's very forest oriented. I imagine you could probably build a log cabin and survive in the wilderness. Yeah. Or at least have knowledge of how to do that. Maybe not actually being able to, but Kulik joined the military and he fought in the Russo-Japanese War as well as World War I. He even got arrested and tossed in jail for a bit for taking part in, you know, revolutionary activities. Oh, was he like a Bolshevik or Oh, they, it didn't go into it. He was probably <laughs> just, he was young and it was hip to be a revolutionary of some sort. And there was a shitload of revolutionary groups in Russia at the time. So it was like, whatever. Chances are he was a Menshevik because that was the bigger group. And so. Who was it that took over after they murdered the czars? Was it Lenin? Yes. Okay. Lenin and then it was Stalin. Yes. And neither one of them, very nice people. Lenin more so than Stalin. Stalin Stalin was was a a goddamn monster. Yeah. (laughs) After World War I, he taught mineralogy at a place in Tomsk, Russia, until he took a position in then St. Petersburg, now Leningrad, and I think it's St. Petersburg again now, but at the Mineralogical Museum. Here, he was in charge of finding and studying meteorites that had fallen in the Soviet Union. It was 1921, and he was preparing for his expedition across the country in search of, you know, meteorites. And then he came across an old newspaper article with a completely bullshit story in it. Oh, it was bullshit? It wasn't... Completely. It spoke of a meteorite that had fallen near Tomsk. And the only detail that was even slightly correct was that something happened in this general area. When I say general area, I use that term very loosely, as it's around 500 miles 805 kilometers away from Tunguska. So it was just on the outside of where they could have actually seen the explosion. That's pretty far away. Yeah. Kulik began looking through old newspapers in search of additional reports of meteorite crashes. I'm guessing that it's 1921. The Soviet government, the new government, is saying, all right, you need to find meteorites that have fallen. Go. And he's like, Fuck. 
Right. Where am How I going to find? How do I do that? And now some he that shit. knew some things about stuff, and so I'm sure he had ideas of where it was possible, just because of what minerals were found in certain areas of where he might be able to go, because that's ultimately what they were in search of is is meteoric iron and and other elements. Mm-hmm. And, and so now he's got this report, and he's probably going to look for more and see if maybe he can pinpoint other locations for this cross country trip into the middle of nowhere. His research was fruitful, and Kulik was able to put together a pretty accurate story of a meteorite fall. His first time out to this remote area in Siberia was not super successful, and he was only able to locate the general area of the blast. So Siberia is not known for nice weather. No. And the weather was notoriously bad, and so he had to head back. Well, it's fucking cold as shit most Lots of, of the snow. year. So much snow. And then the couple of months it's not covered in shit tons of snow and freezing cold. It's like a swamp, I guess. Filled with mosquitoes. Yeah. Just swampy mud and trees and mosquitoes. And, and shittiness. Yeah. That's why they send people they don't like to Siberia. Right. Because it, it sucks. Fucking sucks so bad out yeah. there. When he returned, he set to convincing the government to send him back and started collecting more stories about the incident. The stories he gathered were good enough to convince those that needed convincing that a second expedition was warranted. It was planned for the spring of 1927. I'm sure that it took some time to convince, so it wasn't like a few months after they're like, oh, okay, well, in seven years we're going to go do this, or six years we're going to go do this. I'm sure that the funding was a big issue, getting into being able to have supplies to get out there and actually get through the terrain. Now, the thing with Russian expeditions, which is different from, say, the British expeditions, is the British expeditions sent in a whole bunch of British people. They got there with a whole bunch of shit, and they hired a whole bunch of of locals, and then they trekked out into the middle of nowhere. The Russians, well, they sent two guys. Right. And when they got there, they only hired a couple more. So it's, it was a significantly less expensive trip. But nonetheless, I'm sure whatever expense it occurred, they probably... <laughs> oh, yeah. And also probably. just trying to convince the government that, mm-hmm. let's do this. Yep. If everything went according to the schedule, they would be able to get in and out of the area before the ground thought enough to become muddy and the hordes of mosquitoes would come to do mosquito stuff. But there's... The snow is is gone, but it hasn't totally turned to like a muddy pit of hell. What they're trying to avoid... I don't think they're trying to avoid the snow since there's not really that in-between period. Yeah. They're just trying to get there and out of there before it's muddy and mosquito-y. So there's a little snow, but no mud and mosquito. Right. Uh, the first part of the journey was from Leningrad to Tyshet, which is about 3,100 miles away, 5,000 kilometers. The first part of the journey was from Leningrad to Tyshet, which is about 3,100 miles apart, 5,000 kilometers. This was done on the Trans-Siberian Railway. Tyshet was the end of the line, so from here they took horse-drawn sleds to Keshma, which was around 186 miles away. 300 kilometers. That's far. Yeah, so we're going from train to sleds. God knows how many days it took And train, I mean, that's like from like here to Florida, like 3,000 miles. Yeah, God, yeah, that's... Russia and Siberia, it's just so vast and huge. Oh, the whole, it's ridiculous. This was the last stop for provisions before they headed out 
into a more sparsely populated area. After Keshma, things got much harder. Sometimes they would be at such high altitude that their compasses would stop working. So that's great, because that's 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 it. That's their GPS. Right. That and the stars. Yeah, and it's probably really cold at night. Oh, yeah. Probably don't want to be doing a lot of your walking. No, not so much. Other times, they would go miles out of their way to get around gulches or steep hillsides. They finally made it to Vanavara, the last civilization they would see before they headed into the area where they believed the blast had occurred. In addition to buying more supplies, Kulik also hired a guide by the name of Ilya Potapovich. Before heading out, he spoke with some people from the village, asking them about the event he was investigating. As it turned out, these folks believed the meteor event to have been a religious event. This was an Nvinki village, and they believed that Ogdi, or sometimes Agdi, had presented himself. Ogdi is the Evenki god of thunder. So Russian Zeus. Russian Zeus. The lightning that came down from the sky was thought to be the Agdi birds. Iron birds, big and black, with fiery eyes. Powerful shaman had relationships with some of these Agdi birds, and they would call on them to help them in times of need. There are many clans of Avenki, or Tungus, people in the area, many of which were feuding. The locals in Vanavara simply thought that the meteor was a shaman calling down an Agdi bird on his enemies. It seemed to Kulik that he was on the right track, and set out on horseback with the guide. He left his aid in the village for some reason. The going ended up being too difficult, and they soon had to head back to the village and wait for the weather to improve. They had arrived at Vanavara at the end of March initially and had to sit and wait out the snow until April 18th. So right about this time of year. Right about this time of year. This time, they set out with pack horses, and after three days of following the river, came to the hut of a man called Okchen. By the time they arrived, Kulik and his assistant were sick as fuck. They hadn't been eating well and were suffering from infections, likely blisters popped and what have you. Just all the awful stuff you get being out in the elements and hard traveling. Especially when you're from civilization. And it's pretty par for the course when you're going from civilization out to the wilderness that you're going to get pretty fucked up on yeah, your way out there. Deep into the wilderness. They were finally on the last leg of their journey. They left the horses at Okchen's and took reindeer, loaded with supplies, and headed back on the journey. Okchen came as well. They followed the river for two more days before they started seeing signs of what they were looking for. As they headed inward toward the center of the blast, they began to need to hack their way through gnarled branches and fallen trees. The trees were down, but their branches were now vertical. Right. And so they created sort of a different, like a forest of branches, kind of. Well, and they were all facing outward from like a center point. Yes, yes, all the fallen trees were. They traveled for two days in the area before the guide and Auchen were too wigged out by the religious implications of being where Agni birds were summoned to stay. The group headed back to Vanavara so Kulik could get new guides. He wasn't done. No, well, he wasn't going to let some, you know, religious folklore he get in his way from finding what he was looking for. When the Soviet government tells you to find something, you find it. Yeah, you don't worry about, you know, petty things like uh, omens and stuff like that. No, not at all. <laughs> he was probably like totally put out like, God damn it, now we got to go back here and I got to get some new guys who aren't freaked out. It was April 30th when Kulik, his assistant, and his new guides again headed off to the area of the event. This time they took a rafts as they knew that they'd be following the river anyway. 
This was unfortunately no longer a frozen wasteland, and the rivers were filled with spring melt. Of course, it was quite dangerous, and there was rapids, and there was a raging river, but they managed to get all the way to the end. Well, at least, you know, as far as they could travel on river. Yeah, I mean, snow melt is no joke when it comes to rivers. Oh, not at all. I mean, people drown out here all the time when oh, yeah. stuff melts, and it, it makes a huge difference. Because it's very cold, too, so you yes. go into shock. Yes, and not only is it cold, but then very deep and fast-moving. Powerful. After exhausting their water route, they continued on foot to the site. Now, keep in mind, they left on April 30th. It was May 20th when they finally began hacking their way back into the fallen forest. Jesus. For a week, they were hacking and slashing through this mess. I'm sure trudging through mud and fending off mosquitoes. Oh, yeah, thick with mosquitoes. They're just probably just getting bit all over the place. They reached the mouth of Trigema River and set up camp. Kulik's goal is to get to a place just beyond the next ridge, called the Southern Swamp by his guides. This is where he is expecting to find the crater left by the meteorite. He's hoping to find a wealth of minerals and elements that can be used for mineral and element stuff, as well as a hope that most scientists have, which is to discover something new. Right, and to, you know, make your mark on, in the scientific community. Exactly. From this base camp, Kulik goes on excursions to find the crater, and maddeningly, all he can find are trees pointed outward. It seems like he's very near the center, but he can't find the damn crater. The crater would have to be fairly large for the amount of destruction caused, but it somehow eluded him. He did find an area of peat moss that looked like it had been knocked out of its resting place in giant splashes, and dozens of flat holes. The flat holes were 10 to 50 feet in diameter, 3 to 16 meters, and several feet deep. These holes, Kulik thought, were probably filled with meteorite iron, which was definitely on his wish list. They didn't bring any excavation equipment, so there was nothing they could do about that. Oh yeah, and all the trees here were standing straight up. They were completely stripped of branches and charred, but standing straight up like telephone poles. He took lots of photos of the stuff and carefully documented his findings, and then headed back. They only had three or so days of food left, so they had to hunt fish and collect some edible plants to make it all the way back. In Siberia, no less. Yeah, I mean, they just didn't have much to do. I guess there's a lot of ducks, so they, it was mainly ducks and fish. They ended up getting back to Vanavara at the end of June. He did return to the site two more times, once in 1928 and again ten years later. Neither expedition came up with anything new, and, of course, didn't turn up a crater. Leonid Kulik fought in World War II and was captured by Nazis. He died of typhus in a Nazi prison camp on April 24th, 1942. That really sucks. That was, like, his third war, too. Yeah, yeah, the, the Russo-Japanese, World War I, and then World War II. And then he gets captured by Nazis and dies of typhus, which is just horrible. In a concentration camp? That sucks so bad. And making this trek out to Siberia four times. Oh my gosh, I know. And then you never got your answers, and you end up being uh, captured by Nazis and dying in one of their shitty concentration camps. That's terrible. A fucking typhus. God, it's awful. Whatever occurred over the remote part of Siberia in 1908 is unknown even today. 
There are several theories floating around, ranging from the mundane to the insane. Right. Now, the fact that there's no crater, that's that's kind of a... That's a trip. Yeah, that is a trip. And so some of, like, the most common theory that it was either a comet or an asteroid kind of falls apart because of that. Right. A comet is basically a dirty snowball flying through space. So it's water and, and other frozen gases and shit. With mm-hmm. probably a little bit of dirt. Some some space minerals. Yes. Space vitamins. An asteroid is mainly made of rock or metal and is at least 32 feet across or 10 meters. Generally orbits around Earth, but then... Not necessarily around Earth, but probably around the oh, sun. Oh, yeah. Around things. Around things, in gen- <laughs> de- definitely. But it uh, it has several different phases, this asteroid. For basically being the same thing, but why don't, why don't you take us through asteroid a, to meteorite? A meteor is a meteoroid that enters the Earth's atmosphere. A meteoroid is a rock or metal object that is smaller than an asteroid and originates from it, so it's smaller than 32 feet across. A meteorite is a meteor that doesn't entirely burn up in the atmosphere and strikes the ground. It starts out as an asteroid, it breaks apart for some reason, and becomes a meteoroid. Once it enters Earth's atmosphere, it becomes a meteor. If it does not burn up in the atmosphere, it becomes a meteorite. Why don't they just say it's a piece of asteroid? That's... (laughs) I I don't know. I think they're overdoing it a little bit. I don't know. You're making it more complicated than it needs to be. I wonder if it's because they... It was reverse engineered, so... They found a meteorite on the ground and were like, oh, this is a meteorite. And then they figured out where it came from. Like, oh, that's a meteor. And then they're like, well, shit. It actually came from a meteoroid. meteoroid. Oh, and that's actually an asteroid. So I think Mm -hmm. that's probably how it happened. Yeah. Overdone. It's believed that the object that caused the Tunguska event was the third the size of a football field, which is 120 feet or 36.5 meters and was moving at around 10 miles per second, or 15 kilometers per second. This theory is supported by an event that occurred in Chelyabinsk, Russia, on February 15th, 2013. Very recently. Day after Valentine's Day. An asteroid about 65 feet across, 20 meters, moving at about 12 miles per second, 19 kilometers per second, slammed into the atmosphere and exploded about 20 miles 30 kilometers above the city of Chelyabinsk. The explosion was estimated to have been 20 to 30 times as powerful as the explosion at Hiroshima. The resulting shockwave broke windows in six cities in the area, as well as knocked down some parts of buildings. Around 1,500 people got medical attention, mostly from falling glass shards. For miles around and months after, people would find meteorite fragments and snowdrifts along the path the meteor took. The biggest one they found in a lake was like 1,500 pounds. And now that's something that's weird about Tunguska is that they didn't find big chunks of rock anywhere. Not even one. But this explosion that this other explosion that happened in 2013 is thought to be extremely similar, but. And smaller, a smaller object, about half the size. Right. And yet there's some differences. Nothing. Nothing at all. Big differences. The destruction of the site is, and the destruction at Chelyabinsk is 
caused by what they call an airburst, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's a big burst of air. Is that why there's no crater? That's why they believe there's no crater. Because there wasn't one in, on this smaller one more yeah, recently. Correct, because okay. neither hit the ground. And if mm-hmm. you don't hit the ground, you don't make a crater. Because it's an airburst. Exactly. <laughs> gotcha. So maybe it was a comet. I don't know if so comets work it, like that. Like, yeah, like do they burst like that? Do they even get it that far into our atmosphere that they're only like 10 kilometers or 15 miles above the ground yeah i have i have no idea i have, I have no idea no either idea. see I, I i definitely saw the comet theory but i didn't see anything where they had any examples of comets doing that they only used the reference of the 2013 right which was an asteroid which was definitely an a well you know meteoroid it meteor, started out yeah. life as an asteroid <laughs> um and definitely not a comet yes but that again it had the big chunks of rock which this one doesn't, but I didn't see anything else where it actually showed that this had happened with comets before. So, so astronomers, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have comets, can comets do this? Have they done it before and we just don't know? Stranger than podcast at gmail.com. Drop us a line. There are some theories that explain how there are no pieces found. Oh, okay. So annihilation is when a subatomic particle collides with its antiparticle of the opposite charge. Theoretically, this would create a large amount of energy, and it would explain all the lights reported in the sky at the time of the Tunguska event. The amount of antimatter that would be produced from this is thought to be an impossible amount, and even if it was possible, it's more likely that the explosion would have happened in the upper atmosphere, which wouldn't have touched the forest. Hmm. Now, this matter-antimatter thing, is this something we're able to do currently? Are we able to do that in a lab somewhere or is that just in the movies i think it's theoretical but physicists can you guys make antimatter let us know stranger than podcast at gmail.com maybe it was a miniature black hole joanna Mm, I, i i read about that one too american scientists albert a jackson and michael p ryan both guys with two first names came up with the hypothesis in 1973 that a miniature black hole passed through Earth, and the Tunguska event was the result of this. It was the entry point of this black hole. There wasn't another event similar that occurred that we saw, and if the black hole was, so, you know, there was no exit point. Right. If the black hole was just sitting in the middle of Earth, I'm sure we wouldn't be talking now because, well, there would likely be no Earth. Wouldn't it just, like, pull everything, like, inward? Likely, yes. Eventually. It would just implode. I mean, not only do I kind of not believe that that could happen but i really don't want to believe that can happen black holes freak me out like it's a good thing they you don't need to be freaked out by them yeah well i hope i don't need to be freaked out by them i hope there's not any real basis to that theory there being no exit wound quote unquote right now the planet is 71 percent water and 96.5 percent of that is ocean So it's possible, if this theory is correct, and there was the exit point that it could have happened 
in the middle of the ocean where no one is to witness it, and there was no way that you could get any evidence to prove it. All right, it's not helping my anxiety, you validating this theory in any way, shape, or form. Well, fortunately, <laughs> most scientists do not believe that is a thing. Yeah, but that's the one That's the one thing that could make it kind of like, well, it might have just exited through the ocean. Yeah. Like, but in, that's... like one of those cyclone things or what? Who knows? <laughs> no one was there to see it. <laughs> yeah. It's like no. if, a, if a black hole exists in the ocean there's no one there to see it does it make a cyclone i'm just i'm just gonna take a pass on that one and and i i don't think it i don't think it was a black hole very few people do russian science fiction writer alexander kazantsev visited both hiroshima and the site of the tunguska event the similarities he saw in the two places led him to the idea that the siberian incident was likely caused by the nuclear core of a ufo exploding in midair no, I'm not sure if this was a theory he was, like, seriously putting forth. So the UFO had a nuclear core? So it had a nuclear engine. And, or engine and Well, it had a nuclear engine, and then so the nuclear core exploded in some sort of But it crash. didn't cause any noted radiation. No, no, no. This is, this is a different kind of nuclear core, obviously. I guess so. It's cleaner. It's have, alien nuclear doesn't have energy. radiation. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's possible but i do you know, know we're not aliens we, we don't know i heard another one about aliens where it was um it crashed they're looking for water i guess and uh they crashed and that's why you know everything's like flattened in a circular pattern probably. right right kind of like uh hit the the crops you know crops the crop circles yeah <laughs> it's like crop circles except with giant Trees, mighty trees. Yes, yes, mighty trees. I guess that's what happens when the spacecraft like crashes and doesn't just kind of like set down gently, or they're not just like doing it on purpose to fuck with us. Yeah, it's, this is the accidental kind. Yeah, this is the accidental kind where like shit, I did not mean to hit that forest. Like that really did some damage. Whoops. <laughs> this is harder than crops. Yes, much harder <laughs> than crops. I mean, out of all of the theories. I would say that it's most likely the meteor one. Right. But it's just weird that there's no shit left behind. It is weird. I do have a quote from a, a scientist. This guy works at the National Academy of Sciences in Ukraine. His name is Viktor Kavansnitsa. I mentioned how there wasn't any big rocks found at Tunguska. Not like the 1,500-pound right. rock that was found at the other place. Not even, like, little rocks were found. They did find some microscopic elements. But nothing you could right. see with your eye or, like... Right. They took samples to like of it pick for up analysis and like put back in a bag in the, and the, bring back home. In 1978. And then uh, this guy actually examined it in 2013, the same year that that other thing happened. Yeah. And this is what he had to say about it. He says, Our study of samples from Tunguska, as well as... Research of many other authors reveals meteorite origin of the Tunguska event. We believe that nothing paranormal happened at Tunguska. So he thinks that just the fact that there was the trace amounts in there that indicate that's enough. That that's enough. There's also the theory that there's the, the lake, Lake Checo. Uh-huh. It's not very far from where the, all the trees were all fucked up. Now, the trees are all standing around that, but it's a huge lake, and apparently it's not recorded on any maps prior to that. Oh, really? Event. 
Now it could be be because it was so far in the middle of fucking Siberia. And, and no one started going out there until this shit happened. Right, yeah. I mean, and not it even, happened in 1908. And not even until like 20 years after this shit happened. Right. Or 10 years. I th- it was it was like 20. I think it was 1927, wasn't it, when that guy went out? That was the second time. The first time was, he went out was 21. 21. The next time was 27. But it was still. So, yeah. It wasn't right after. No, it, it was some time following the event, but apparently this lake is nowhere on any maps that are huh. from before that time, so they think maybe that's the impact crater is, is the lake itself. Um, but they still didn't find any debris along the path that the meteor took. No. And no debris in that lake, I'm imagining. Right. Nothing Nothing further other than just the fact that there's this lake here that i i mean i guess there's maps of the area from before right. and the lake is never on there mm. now it could just be because it's like kind of a broad not yeah. very detailed map or maybe because nobody ever saw this fucking lake yeah if they did go out there doing map i don't it could have been fr- what do you call that what do you call that when you cartography ma- okay when you're when you're making maps yep yep essentially you're exploring places to map it out you're a cartographer if you're doing that hmm is that even a thing that people do now? Uh, I believe like when you are, you know, when you're driving down the street and you see those guys. Oh, with a little like. With the tripods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they're doing something similar to that. Yeah. But not, not in the way it used to be where there was just nothing. You were out there marking everything. Uh, there there wasn't would, any satellite pictures and No, shit but like back that. in the day they would do it with taking measurements of the stars and direction and all that kind of stuff. And that's how they made accurate maps is through math and being there and seeing mm-hmm. where things actually were in relation to things you knew where they were. It's pretty fucking crazy. Yeah. And may, I don't know, maybe they haven't examined the lake as much as they could. Who knows what's going on? Who knows? No one does actually. <laughs> no Nobody one does. does. No one does really. That's why all the theories kind of don't, they fall None of them short fit. of being really convincing. Like this is the one, like for sure, more than any other. Just leave it. Leave it to Russia. Although I'm not, I mean, I'm not gonna. I I don't like aliens and I don't like black holes. Leave it to Russia to have a weird events. You know, we got Dyatlov Pass, <laughs> and we got this, and probably plenty others. Oh, and I'm sure plenty of others. Personally, I think it was probably a meteorite, something like that. Yeah, maybe the lake is an impact crater which would make it different than the one in 2013 and there just hasn't been enough examination of it to find any evidence of it and like, maybe, i mean this guy seems convinced with the microscopic evidence so maybe there's some sort of angle and trajectory it could come in at where it completely vaporizes mm-hmm. and so it only is salt shaking elements and right minerals so maybe the, the lake is just a lake and it was just like the other one where it was an above air explosion except for some reason yeah it no just vaporized it was hotter it, yeah, or no it was a different kind of element that just took more to vaporizing Hmm. it would be nice to know just because this is you know one of the few probable recorded like you know asteroid impacts that was pretty significant. Yeah. The next one definitely was. But, I mean, we talk about stuff like the one that killed the dinosaurs 66 million years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a huge one. That was a game changer for the whole fucking world. Yes. Uh, NASA has some sort of, like, uh, you know, like the National Asteroid Safety 
panel or something that monitors all these fucking rocks oh, in yeah. space. They, they monitor near-Earth objects and, and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I don't know what the plan would be if one came hurtling towards us. What was that fucking movie? Where they Armageddon, drill, I Armageddon, think. Armageddon, yeah, where they go and drill rocks. I don't I don't think that's a thing that we can actually do, but uh, they, are, they are monitoring it. So it would be nice to know if this event actually was an asteroid because that would probably, you know, with like some forecasting models and stuff, I'm sure. Well, the... I'm sure there would be some good information to be gained about it. The organization that monitors uh, the nuclear... Like people using, like testing nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. they, you know, they monitor uh, seismic activity and stuff. And they do, since I think it was 2014, had monitored 24 nuclear sized collisions that wow. weren't, that were collisions that weren't nuclear shit. So mm-hmm. it happens with a relative frequency that things are hitting with the power of a nuclear bomb. That's. A little disconcerting, but from what I was reading, they're they're still saying it's unlikely. It's unlikely. It's unlikely that a big asteroid's going to come and and take us out. I mean, we haven't heard about any of them, so it's <laughs> not like they were wholly destructive on a grand level. So right. Although I I have to say, if that the one, if the Tunguska asteroid, if it was an asteroid, if that hit a populated place, I mean, that could do some. That, oh yeah, some major definitely. Major destructive impact. Oh, yes, impact. <laughs> so, thank you very much for listening. Be sure to check out all of our social medias. You'll find them in the show notes along with sources and whatnot. Check out the podcast syndicate we are a part of and stay safe out there in the apocalypse. And stay strange. We'll talk to you next time.